0: welcome back to hashtag single with Jeanette Bonner I am not a relationship expert or sex therapist I'm just a regular New York City woman navigating the world as a single independent feminist Hashtag Single is about having honest conversations with other singles in today's device-obsessed culture. So I hope you'll join me on this interesting, challenging, and complex journey as we navigate the ins and outs of singledom. Hey everyone. Welcome back to hashtag single. So excited to have you join us today, especially Evan, as I have a really special guest joining me. um following up with our recent episodes around dating and happiness. I really want to do a deep dive on how dating specifically can mess with your mental ecosystem and your ability to remain like a whole happy, healthy person, which, as you may have heard, is something that I have been struggling with recently. So, If you are too, you are certainly not alone. So um, let's talk about happiness. What a concept. I'm honored to have here with me today psychologist, New York Times bestselling author and host of the podcast, Being Well, Dr. Rick Hansen. Rick, thank you so much for coming on Hashtag Single With Me.
1: Jeanette, as I mentioned before we started, I'm totally psyched about doing this. You know, I really am. Plus, you already have a great vibe, so I'm good. I'm I to love be people here. that
0: have good vibe. You have a great energy too, and um, you know it's, it's so weird because we're not uh, absolutely even in the t- same time zone. But um, I feel like I feel like we're connecting. So I'm so excited to get into yeah. this conversation further with you, um, and I'm so thrilled to be able to bring you in for this super important conversation. And couldn't have asked for a better guest, I think, to cover this topic specifically. And uh, to prove my point, I'm going to read your bio to our listeners, but feel free to add anything in um, that I may have missed. Rick Hansen, PhD, is a psychologist, senior fellow at UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and New York Times bestselling author. His seven books have been published in 31 languages and include Making Great Relationships, Neurodharma, Resilient, Hardwiring Happiness, Just One Thing, Buddha's Brain, and Mother Nurture. He is the founder of Global Compassion Coalition and the Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience and Contemplative Wisdom, as well as the co-host of Being. Well, podcast. He has lectured at NASA, Google, Oxford, and Harvard. is an expert on positive neuroplasticity, woo, and his work has been featured on CBS, NPR, the ABC, and other major media. The list goes on. Uh, he be- he began meditating in 1974 and has taught in meditation centers worldwide. He and his wife live in Northern California. Have two adult children. He loves the wilderness and taking a break from emails. That's my (laughs) favorite part of your bio. (laughs) I think that's so important to note that um, taking a break from emails is so important. And I love that you pair that with taking walks in nature too. That's that's really such a beautiful sign. Anything I missed you want to add in? Your- oh, no,
1: thank you. I'm My attitude about bios is Monday. short and sweet is better, <laughs> less is more. So no, I'm honored to be here. Let's dive in.
0: Okay, thank great, you. great. Really, I mean, uh, that's such an incredible list of achievements. I'm curious since that's so much and they cover such the gamut. What of all of your hats or your titles, your achievements mentioned has brought you the most joy? And you don't have to say having your kids because that's the expected thing to say.
1: Well, it's a true thing, making a family. and um, I would say that one other thing that's given me a lot of joy um and it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately it's it's basically standing up for what's right. We don't really think about mm. that
0: mm-hmm. as something
1: that makes us feel good, but little things like um, just you know not being a jerk. <laughs> It's kind of a bar. Don't be an asshole. And making a, a choosing to take a higher road. You know, I, I, I could probably have added. I bet you could too. Three, four, five, ten other things. But that's the one. I'm just. It's in my mind these days. You know, the older I get, the more peaceful I get, and the madder I get at the state of the world. Mm. I'm profoundly mad about how women, girls and women, and to the extent that category, you know, means something or people identify with it, have just been historically treated. Yeah. It pisses me yeah. off. Yeah, And um, the state of the world in a lot of ways. So anyway, so there's something about standing up for what's right, you know, without getting sucked into the dangers and pitfalls of, you know, hatred and, you know, just, uh, I don't know what, hate, hate bombing that Fox News or something like that, if it comes on the television. We have to watch out for that because then we get poisoned inside. But in general, it's time for us, for people to have moral courage, moral confidence. And anyway, that's one thing I just wanted to call out.
0: Bravo. I think you should work that into your bio somehow. I don't know how you would do that. <laughs> I but, don't, it wasn't but, there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think um, that's such a beautiful thing to sp- say, especially since you and I have been given um, these platforms that we can yeah. use to express our opinion and that we will live in a wonderful, flawed country that allows us the freedom of speech to express our opinion um, yeah. and hopefully rally people around us in making a positive change. So yeah. I love that that, that is. Um, a primary thing that brings you joy today and, and also making a family. I I wanted to release you from the limitations of that. I think, because I think that's comes up in our, our topic today. We'll get to it later, but, um, uh, family doesn't always, uh, bring us joy, but I feel like society has expectations of, um, of it being a positive influence on our life. And it's uncomfortable when, um, you talk about it otherwise when mm-hmm. when you – when the thing that we are set up for, especially as women, to achieve, which is becoming married and becoming perhaps a mother, isn't necessarily met or isn't necessarily the thing that you thought it would be like – what happens when you tell people the truth and be like, hey, I had kids and I, I regret it. I mm-hmm. mean, that's it's a cruel thing to say, but I love when people are that honest and be like, yo, this was really hard and I don't know that it was the right choice for me. So anyway, that was just to give you space because we have non-mothers on this podcast. I am a non-mother myself. Um, we have people who have chosen to be childless. We have people who are single mothers and all sorts of women listening in. We digress already, it's gonna be a long hour. No, I'm kidding, I'm excited. Um, so I wanna go back to you, just because I'm curious about you, and I love learning about other people. How and when did you discover you were interested in following this specific path of psychology and um, in, in neuroscience and neurology specifically? What What in your studies or your in your life experience brought you here?
1: Yeah. Well, looking back, and I've got some back to look at. <laughs> At this point, um, I had an experience as a little kid, and I bet that you did too, because I, I think a lot of people had that experience as a kid of just getting, having, just knowing somehow as a three-year-old or a five-year-old or a 10-year-old that there was a lot of unnecessary unhappiness around me. mm. I did not grow up with trauma, did not grow up in poverty. It was kind of a lower middle class suburban setting outside of LA. But I just knew there was a lot of unnecessary worry and fussing and fighting and hassling with parents and adults and kids and all of it. And I just kind of had this poignant longing for something better. And I didn't know what to do about it. And then by the time I landed in... um, college, uh, I had realized that even though I was extremely unhappy and totally socially awkward, I was a total dork. Like if I had met you, Jeanette, if we had put you in a time machine, turned you into a 14 year old or a 15 year old, uh, West Cabina high school, you would have terrified me. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: still terrified (laughs) men. There
1: you are. There you are. I would have been terrified. And, uh, so all kinds of reasons. And, um, I realized, though, that no matter how unhappy I had been, I could always learn something every day. I could learn a little, grow a little, develop a little, get a little wiser, a little calmer, a little more chill, a little more peaceful, a little more skillful, and so forth. And that kind of set me on my way. So I landed at UCLA. I was 16 when I started. 1969, human potential movement, full swing. I got into that. That seemed really cool. Psychology seemed like rats in mazes, boring. And then I stumbled into meditation at the end of college, and I thought, wow, there's really something here, you know, Mm -hmm. where you kind of step, without getting all woo-woo, just you step back from your own stream of thoughts and feelings, and you get a little more space around them, a little more buffers, a little more shock absorbers, and woo, and then you start to have a sense of something kind of underneath it all that seems calmer, aware, open-hearted, good-hearted, and so forth. So that kind of set me on my way. And then at the end of my 20s, I had bounced around a lot of ways, and I realized, whoa, I need to go to grad school, (laughs) you know? And so I did. I set out and got a PhD in clinical psychology. And right around the time I got my PhD, brain science really lit up. I got my PhD Ah. in 91. And so the last 30 years have been an explosion. And for me, I've been right at the intersection of these three three things, long story short. Clinical psychology, practical psychology, one. Two, ancient contemplative wisdom from around the world Mm. and three whoa modern brain science and when you put them all together like i did in buddha's brain and other stuff since then it's rocking it's really useful including i'm sure we'll get to it in the hardcore of there you are on that date and whoa what's going on in your brain and what could be going on maybe better there yeah so anyway that's it
0: that's beautiful. I love that. I just love when people find their passion and, and you clearly are passionate about what you do and, and continue to be passionate yeah. about learning about it and and how you can use these skills to help other people.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, it's It just brings me joy when people find the right path for themselves. Mm. So mazel yeah. to you, as Muzzle they say. Mazel to
1: you too. You, you seem to have <laughs> found your path. Yeah, I, yeah mm. I'm
0: working through it. trying to figure out what I want, you know, as we all are. Yeah. Um, but it's so great to, yeah, it's so great to talk to people that really find, find their niche, you know? Yeah. Um, so let's dive into what brought you here today because there was, if you, I don't know if you believe in divine timing, if you um, are, it sounds like you might, if you are sort of yeah. like along the route of meditation and Buddha, but and I also believe in divine timing. Um, and if y'all are listening, if you've heard the previous episodes, you'll have learned and it's no surprise here that I sort of took an unexpected hiatus from the podcast. Um, I just hit a major wall and had to come to terms with where that came from. You know, the break started with I got busy with work, and then I tried just trying to figure out where my resistance to coming back to it came from. Around this time, a friend had mentioned that there was a very, very famous course called The Science of Well Being that's taught at Yale. And it is like the most popular college course of all time. It gets... Um, Registered for within within minutes when it's open for registration at Yale, and they finally released it to the public um, for free. You can take it online. I'll link it in the show notes if you're interested. So I started taking this course and really a lot of elements around it sort of opening up my mind and blowing my mind at the same time. And it occurred to me that while we've sort of dabbled around the realm of happiness and in talking about dating, of course, we haven't really ever talked about how happiness and well-being in dating are, are related or correlated. And as I started Googling to learn more, your website pops up and Congrats on your SEO. It's working. Um, <laughs> because um your, your website heading, I guess is the right word for it. Your website heading for the search result that I was looking for on your website is the neuroscience of lasting happiness. First off, I'm wondering if you can define that for us. Because I think we all understand like that dopamine hit and the areas of our brain that light up when we have ice cream, but you know what goes into the science of lasting happiness? How is that measured?
1: That's a huge question. So I'm using the word happiness in two senses, as basically synonymous with well-being and two kinds of well-being: hedonic well-being and Ooh. eudaimonic well-being. Tell so me more. So hedonic well-being, uh, I'm feeling a fair amount of it right now with you. It's fun to talk with you. Uh, I. Had a nice meal a little earlier today. I hung out with my wife. You know, ordinary happiness from enjoying the company of others, getting things done, eating a cupcake, looking at a sunset, uh, watching, you know, B-plus TV, as I do with my wife every night. Okay. <laughs> so that's hedonic well-being. But then there's what's called eudaimonic well-being. It's a term you may know, and your listeners may know too, a sense of meaning and purpose. So I think back mm. on... Um, standing up for justice, maybe. It's, not sometimes, it's, not, it's often not happy in the moment because you have to confront people. I had a tough conversation with somebody earlier today, but I really just had to stand up as a matter of principle for some things that I'm responsible for, and uh, there needed to be a change. So I wasn't happy. I squirmed. I'm a nice guy. I don't like you know, getting into mm. those conversations, but I had to do it. And there's a deep sense of fulfillment and meaning. Like I stood up, I stood strong, I stood tall. I did not not swerve away from the hard thing, even though, you know, it was hard to do. Yeah. And I don't give myself a big moral pad. I'm just naming it as an example, eudaimonic well-being. And other people have, like taking care of an aging parent, maybe someone who's dementing and they can't even remember your name and they're yelling at you, but, you know, you're committed to their welfare. That's fulfillment, a eudaimonic well-being. Um, both of those together are what I mean by happiness. And now we come to the gist, the real, the real crux, and the dirty little secret in most clinical psychology, coaching, self-help, mindfulness training, and podcasts. It's that states are cheap. States come and go. Traits mm-hmm. are what last. Traits are what matter. So yeah, it's important to look for those good experiences with your therapist or in a meditation or you know, watching something on television or enjoying a conversation with a friend. Experiences are really good, but how many of them sink in? How many of them have lasting value? And the research shows that most positive experiences wash through the brain like water through a sieve, while negative ones are routinely mm-hmm. caught because the brain by design and evolution is like Velcro for bad experiences, but Teflon for good ones, which mm-hmm. is hugely relevant, obviously, to dating, Yeah. right? And uh being single and, and and being interested in a partner. So long story short, I and others have developed methods for increasing the conversion rate from our experiences to a lasting, increasingly hardwired and unconditional sense of well-being that's baked into you. And you feel other things and you're in the waves of life, but in the core of your being, there's an underlying sense in three major aspects of peacefulness, contentment, and love. Because deep down in your bones, you feel that your needs are met sufficiently, at least, in the present, which then takes you into, like I said, peacefulness, contentment, and love. And so for me, the, the takeaway, to finish on something super practical, is half a dozen times a day when a person is experiencing something beneficial that feels like a keeper, okay? Like when I was a kid, I have rarely had the experience that people actually saw me. Mm. Right now, you and I are looking at each other. I feel like you're seeing me. I feel seen. We don't know each other super well. It's not like we're besties or whatever, but it's real. Right, right. here, boom, opportunity to, to recognize that natural, authentic, you know, real, beneficial experience. It's not a million-dollar moment, but it's still real. It's not less than what it is. And if you, you or a person slows down, to let the brain catch up to the experience and feels it in the body and is aware of what feels good about it, that's going to increase the degree to which that experience turns into a lasting change of neural structure or function. You can take in the good, in other words, multiple times a day, and thus grow the good that lasts literally hardwired into your own body.
0: So if I'm hearing you right, that's sort of... um... It's not just an acknowledgement of the moment, but it's it's the practice of gratitude for the it's, moment. It's
1: internalizing. So yeah. maybe in the moment you feel strong, you've stood up to somebody, take that in. Maybe in the moment you realize, you know, that wasn't skillful to just, you know, go into some kind of nasty tone with that person. Okay. You take that in. You learn from it. In other words, what's a person's growth curve or learning curve? We're always having experiences. Are we gaining from them? And the dirty secret in psychotherapy and coaching and so forth is that um, on average there tend to be gains over time, but people get treated in a kind of growth 1.0 model as passive vessels into which information and experiences are poured in the hopes that some of it sticks. And usually for about a third or so of the people in a research study, a lot sticks because they're intuitively actively doing what I'm talking about. They are deliberately internalizing their experiences. They're opening to them, they're receiving them, they're staying with them, they're they're feeling the embodiment of them. Great. But what about the other half to two-thirds who get little or no lasting value? You know, the ones that those who do get value drag the average of the treatment group into statistical significance compared to the so-called control group. Great. But what about the people who don't get that much out of it? you know? And for people in general, how can you steepen your growth curve? So that's what I'm really talking about. I'm talking about growth 2.0, in which we're actively engaging our experiences at the time to promote their positive neuroplasticity of them, to promote their actual physical neuroplastic change inside our own brain.
0: Do you think it's people who are extremely in touch with their own core value system who might be more well adapted to go through that process. For example, if you're thinking, well, one of my core values is appreciation of nature and you go out for a walk and you stop and you think, God, that that cherry blossom tree is really Mm -hmm. just gorgeous today. So instead of just having the experience of a walk, you've now processed it through the lens or your eyes of your core value system. Is that framework Gonna set you up for more success.
1: It might. Um, the you know we, we we internalize useful ideas. Like I realized in my twenties that growing up I had been a, a nerd but not a wimp, and that's a useful <laughs> idea <I love> that. <laughs> for me. You know. Uh, but mainly, uh, what is really important to internalize and what we're really affected by are emotions. And sensations and desires, the feeling of of living, and so for me it would be if that person is enjoying the cherry blossoms uh, and having a sense of just personal enjoyment, e- perhaps even gratitude, even a sense of awe for just the miracle that the unit that anything is here at all. All right, slow down. Mm. You know, can you stay with that? Can you ha- help it sink in? Or more generally. Uh, in just everyday other experiences, you accomplish something. Most of us are accomplishing one thing after another, but we don't register the felt sense of accomplishment. We don't let it sink in. Most of us are having interactions many times a day with people who are reasonably decent. It's not perfect, but there's a basic decency in other people. Do we slow down and let it sink in? Or when we recognize our own fundamental goodness and good intentions and sincerity, do we slow down and take it in? And especially if deep down inside, Either based on you know, uh, you know, the presence of the bad or the absence of the good, there are you know lacks and wounds inside us. And what we can do today is help these useful experiences that are genuine and authentic sink down into and fill up empty, hollow, aching places inside, or also sink down into <clears throat> and soothe and ease and bring wisdom to hurting places inside. Yeah. Or sink down into and build up strengths like thinking about dating, just being out in the world of relationships, a sense of personal worth, uh, a perspective that you can make your offering, but that's all you can do. After that, it's out of your hands. Make the skillful offering as best you can, but realize that what happens next is mainly, you know, up for grabs. That's a yeah. spin of the roulette wheel. Uh, if you can let that land inside you and grow that perspective increasingly over time,
0: I love this idea. And to be perfectly honest, this is sort of a, a new concept for me. I didn't realize that this could this was real. But – and you touched on it a little bit, but the idea that if if you mm-hmm. go through these pro- this practice of, of mindfulness yeah. and um,
1: – Internalization. You know,
0: yes, internalization. Great word. Yeah. Um, that you can actually physically rewire your brain.
1: Yeah. Um, crazy, huh?
0: <laughs> it's totally crazy because, <laughs> I mean – I don't know. I know we can reframe our thoughts, right? Like that's been taught to us. But you're not saying reframe. You're saying like actually rewire the neurons in our brain yeah. to help us approach life and view it and see it differently.
1: To to acquire lasting beneficial traits. You know, it's a hardcore question for people. Uh, yeah. Given what you're dealing with, what, what do you wish were more present in your mind in a regular way? And most people have a an answer to that question, like they they wish there was more calm or self worth mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. perspective or patience, and or grit or or kindness. Um, and uh, okay, great. How do you want to grow it? Well, the way to grow it is it's very straightforward. It involves two steps. First, you have to experience whatever you want to grow. You can't just jack a cable. Like out of The Matrix, one of the all-time great films, you just can't jack (laughs) a cable in the back of your head and now you can do kung fu or fly a helicopter. Um, No, you have to experience it. Uh, You have to get that state going, uh, that experience, that thought, that feeling, that sensation, that attitude, so forth. Um, And then once you get that song playing on the inner iPod, the second necessary step of any kind of lasting change for the better must be installation, internalization. Uh, a physical change because that's the basis for developing beneficial traits, including the trait of happiness. you know mood, positive mood, shifting from anxiety to a sense of calm strength, shifting from resentment and anger to a sense of kind of an open-heartedness, a lovingness, a peacefulness, things like that. It's a two-step process. So you it's helpful. What would you like to grow? Mm. Okay. Look for opportunities to really experience it for real. Uh, And then when you're experiencing it, do what I just stumbled on when I was a high school, a college freshman. Slow down to take in the good. Let it sink in.
0: I think that's, I mean, it sounds so wonderful, but we all know it's so hard. And, it's you know, to remember it that of...
1: second part, especially in our culture, because we're always chasing the shiny objects yeah, and then yeah. other people, especially, you know, girls and women socialize to not take in the good. Their job is to give the good to other people, you know, oh, as 100%. a generalization. Yeah. Okay. You would know better. I'm just generalizing from research. I I say that just
0: like having, like I, my mom, it makes me this, the first thing that comes to mind It's like my mother can physically not take in a compliment. If she makes a wonderful dinner and you compliment her, she will negate it by saying like, oh, I, you know, I was hoping to make more pasta, but I ran out of time. Like, it's just, it's fascinating how she's like, she's just got this like nice sheen Vaseline all over where she could just like, it's just a barrier that protects her from taking things in.
1: Um,
0: and I think that a lot of women tend to do that when they get complimented on their physical looks, because Mm. the way that we've been complimented historically on our licks looks has been wielded as a sword or a weapon, you know? So To this day, if someone said, uh, you look really beautiful today, like I kind of, I always deflect it, even in the way I say, thank you. Thank you. That's really sweet. You look great too. You know, I don't think anyone ever stops and goes, yeah, I know. (laughs) Thank you. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's uncomfortable to be assessed for your physical appearance in a good way and a bad way. But I think also as a woman, because we've been under the microscope and the spotlight and even when it's a positive thing, it's, it's like, uh, I don't even know that I've ever really received that compliment, like received that compliment.
1: Yeah. And even more generally, if I could ask you, um, when someone, uh, clearly likes you and it's it's a wholesome kind of liking of you uh, or appreciates you uh, or genuinely they love you, um, are you able to kind of translate that into internalizing or kind of letting it sink down into you that you are likable, lovable, worthy, and so forth?
0: I feel I am because I've done the work yeah. um, towards self-love and I've had to do that. Because dating is such a shit show. Yeah. So I don't think you can possibly deal with online dating unless you truly know your self-worth, your your value, what you bring to the table and what you're looking for as well. Yeah. So, um, when I f- I feel whether in dating or in my relationships with my friends, like like someone really, as you said, sees me or appreciates me. Um, I I can take that in. I can accept that and be like, I can recognize it in the moment. And I can also verbalize, hey, like, I really appreciated what you said to me today or I appreciated what you did for me today. But I'm a grown ass woman who's 42 and it's taken a long time to get here. You know, whereas I think most human beings are still on that growth journey of figuring this stuff out, you know, and as we all are on this podcast included.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I would say that for many people, including for me, uh, you know, for a long time it was hard to actually let it sink in. Yeah. And, and yet we have a, a sacred power to gradually shape who we are becoming, right, with the experiences we help ourselves have, but, and then most importantly, actually receiving them into ourselves. You know, yeah. do, you, do you know the metaphor? You, you you know it already. The It's a hell realm in Tibetan Buddhism, the realm of the hungry ghosts. Do you know that? Have you ever heard of I that? I
0: don't. No. Oh, Tell me really more.
1: It's really trippy. Okay, cool. So basically it's a hell realm in these like six major realms. This is their cosmology to simplify some stuff. Okay. And it's a hell realm in which beings with godlike powers are represented with enormous bellies. They're so full of appetite. They're hungry. They're greedy, they're, they want, they want. And yet their capacity to satisfy their appetites are represented by a pinhole for a mouth. Hmm. And I think of that as a, you know, a lot of Western consumer culture. A
0: hundred percent.
1: Yeah. We have huge appetites. We grab it. But while we're experiencing the nice meal, the nice show, the nice event, did it? We, or, you know, the compliment, whatever, we hardly feel it. And then we're we're always racing to the next thing. Yeah. Rather than slowing it down and claiming the power, claiming the power inside of ourselves to say, hey, I'm I'm gonna receive this. I'm receiving this along the way.
0: Yeah. Talk to me about um your heal method. Um, huh. because I feel like that's sort of yeah. tangential to what we're talking about as like yeah. a methodology to maybe. Take these ideas, but put them into practice.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you tracked that. Um, You know, so I get I I I try not to beat the drum, you know, of this this particular point, but I just think it's so central. We're good at having useful experiences. That's the easy part. But look out at America. You know, depression's on the rise, anxiety's on the rise. You know, I I I have friends who are definitely you know younger people in their twenties and they're they're you know they're they have material well-being but there is you know they're all upset and worried yeah. and you know generation dread as people say so forth so i have really come to appreciate that this is the missing piece internalization that's really the missing piece everybody agrees but it's really hard to develop the habit of practicing it so people actually i don't know if you put in your show notes i published a paper on this with some other people with the evidence-based methods neurologically evidence-based methods to increase internalization Beneficial experiences. All right. I organized that, and you're kind enough to point it out in this HEAL framework. That's an acronym, H E A L, super quickly. It speaks to the two stage process of um, personal development, personal healing, you know, learning broadly. Have an experience that's beneficial. Either usually you notice when you're having. Or maybe you deliberately remind yourself. Maybe you're reminding yourself when you go on that walk, hey, look around. You know, look for something to feel grateful for. There's a lot of, the more life sucks, the more important it is to take in the good, to grow the good inside. You know, this is not for like yuppies on yoga camp. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But for regular people in the trenches, have those experiences, either because you notice them or create them, you're having it, and then enrich them and absorb them. E for enriching, A for absorbing. Enriching simply means help them last, help them be intense, feel them in your body, maybe notice what is fresh or personally relevant about them, and then absorb it. You know, intend to receive it into yourself. Sense it coming into you and be aware of what is rewarding about it, what feels good about it, which technically will sensitize your brain to the experience you're having at the time with dopamine and norepinephrine right? It's kind of like a fire. Step one, light the fire, or usually notice there's fire. It's happening. Step two, protect the fire. Don't let other people put it out and add a few logs to it. And then three, step three, absorb, receive the warmth of the fire into yourself. That's the key right there. And then as a bonus, optional, sometimes challenging. You can do it as standard in all kinds of therapies and healing paths. Um, you can be aware of both two things at once, something positive and something negative that the positive is matched to, is mm. a natural antidote for or a soother for or a, com- or a compensation for. That's linking. Um, mindfulness alone is a kind of linking. In which you have both the spaciousness of undisturbed awareness and the disturbing angry pissed off thought it's some guy who is a jerk to you let's say Uh, or maybe deep down inside you, you you know like me and others if you have residues of feeling you know unlovable or second class or damaged from school growing up you can be aware of also a very positive sense of being wanted, included, cared about today with that negative material that always has to be smaller or more off to the side because you want the positive to heal the negative. You don't want the negative to contaminate the positive. And in linking standard advice, if you start getting hijacked by the negative, drop it and just focus on the positive.
0: I think that so last piece is clutch in dating because you can't guarantee that you're going to, let's talk about the example of just being on a date, for example. So like yeah. you can't guarantee that the day is going to go well. So having a beneficial experience, that's out of your control. I mean, maybe you can kind of like micromanage that and be like, well, oh, I'm having a great drink even though the guy I'm talking to is a total narcissist. But but I think the linking is key because I've certainly been in those situations where I'm like, I'm having a terrible time, but simultaneously there's joy in having the terrible time because you're able to recognize the reason I'm having a terrible time is because I'm better than this or I deserve Mm -hmm. more. And like your brain recognizing that at the same moment is a total win, like being able to say this negative experience actually shows me something really beautiful in my life, I think that's that's a, a wonderful approach to like getting through the doldrums of of dating people that are not right for you.
1: Oh, that's completely true, and um, the whole thing about linking is interesting. You can either. Start with the negative because you're upset about something and then you feel it for a while. None of what I'm saying is about positive thinking or a bypass, right? You got to be with it. You feel it. Okay, it's kind of three steps in effect. Deal with the bad, turn to the good, take in the good, right? Deal with the bad, whatever it is, including letting the feelings flow. And then when it feels right, what is also true? What is also true? And then as you start to focus more and more on what is also true, Take it into yourself, right? So maybe you start with it, you feel bad. Other times, you know, if you want, you can freelance. If you start, if you know that you have a backlog, as I have had in my own life, if you have a backlog of kind of empty, hurting places inside, or you're you're vulnerable to certain kinds of reactions, and you then are clear from watching Oprah or, you know, uh, Listening to you or whatever, me, um, you're clear like what would be a useful uh, resource for that old pain? What would be good medicine? What Mm -hmm. would food that your heart longs for? Um, Then you can look for that in everyday life. You can kind of freelance it here. You can look for that. And then you think, that's my special food. That's my vitamin C. That's the food I long for. And when you find it, because you have the knowledge of where you're hurting still inside, then really take in that food and help it link to that old negative material.
0: So I want to try to like put this in the framework of early stages. Let's just say like, let's talk about dating apps and like swipe culture specifically, because um, I'm sure you're well aware there's been multiple articles and studies coming out talking about how... dating app culture is extremely negative, um, on so many levels. It, it, it leads to feelings of depression. It leads to feelings of dehumanization in terms of turning people into objects, um, of sexual harassment that, that women can experience, um, through men objectifying them on the apps. It's, it leads to feelings of unworthiness and, and it's a general discomfort. And, uh, it's interesting to me when you talked about how we filter out the positive experiences and we hang on to the negative ones because I feel like there's so much negative speak right now about how there's no value to the dating apps. You know, it's like, like all we talk about and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well Is like how much they suck and how they're not working and how they're really bad for our levels of happiness in our brain. So Let's say one does not want to remove the dating apps from their phone and is either addicted or committed to finding a person in this way. Like, how what do we do in this methodology that you have to, I don't know, fill in the gaps of of these pain points so that the experience isn't as um, awful as as it feels like it is,
1: yeah, well, a <clears throat> couple disclaimers. so I'm a straight white. Late middle-aged dude, forty-one years of marriage, and um, you know it's a long time. Uh, I know a lot of people who use dating apps and uh, for you know and all the rest of that. So without those disclaimers, one thing that I think for me at least I would suggest is this broad principle that, um, in a metaphor, you can water a fruit tree, but you cannot make it give you an apple. Or to draw on a traditional saying, you can tend to the causes. But not control the results,
0: mm-hmm. and there's
1: the, it's right there summarized in the Serenity Prayer too, where you make the efforts that you can, you make them skillfully. So you present yourself as well as you can. Uh, you do that, and then after that, you start to realize that it's mostly a vast impersonal, fucked up process. <laughs> That's not about you. Yeah, it's not about you. You know, and and right there is a piece of wisdom, uh, and then there can be the internalization of that knowing and that wisdom that it's mostly not about you. It's un, right? It's unfortunate, it's unfair, it's unjust, it's situated in millennia of patriarchy, it's totally screwed up. It's not about you personally most of the time. To me, that's something that a person could bring in yeah. and internalize. Um, and I think a second thing is to... For me, it's it's weird. In, in general, in life, there's so many things we try to do that we just don't succeed at. But our sincere efforts are still worth doing.
0: And oh, it's really refuge, nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's still worth doing to make that effort and to be brave enough and plucky uh, and just and, and being an ally to yourself, knowing that you're helping yourself, you've not lost faith with yourself, you're still helping, you're still encouraging. You know, you are that person who is this way for yourself and in general. And then there's a kind of knowing of that. It's not arrogant or chest-thumping, it's a knowing of that. Um, and you can bring that kind of respect to yourself and, and gradually internalize the sense that you are, a, you are the person who does make sincere efforts right? And you are the person who is a strong ally, including for yourself. And to me, that, that would be a second thing that I think would be really helpful. And then there's dealing with just what happens, you know, feedback. Um, the world gives us feedback. A lot of it is, is noise, but occasionally mm. there's signal amidst the noise. So then you're sorting, okay, what's worthless? What's the, what's the you know, the chaff? Where's the weight, you know? Um, and you know, there's a place sometimes. I think for is there any feedback here for me? Is there any learning for me? This is something I'm trying to do. Can I be more skillful? While realizing that a lot of the feedback that may come is is not useful, right? It's meaningless, and you just let it go. But you kind of zero in on, gee, is there something useful for me here? And then you try to learn from it. And again, there too. You know that you're a person who's willing to learn. I don't know. What do you think?
0: They're beautiful thoughts. I think it's that it takes it will probably take a lot of practice to put that, you know. Yeah. Into the moment. Um mm-hmm. you know, it's uh it's it's not even really that like um you're affected by the apps, but it's demoralizing to keep putting yourself out there again and again and have yeah, it, it have it not be received and have it or have it not lead anywhere. It's just sort yeah. of that that hamster wheel of like and I think a lot of us know better that it's not us or at least we're yeah. able to like put the phone down and like you know, refocus and rejigger. But um it's still, um, you know, and especially for me, go, go, having been on them for a decade of it, it piles up, you know? Yeah. So the greater work is like how, and this is this, I love this conversation, but like what tools do I have and, and what can I implement when I'm feeling these extremely negative feelings or when I hit my own wall? Like how do I, what can I do to reset myself and get myself back in a positive place, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, I I don't know specifically, I but I do, do I do know a lot generally. And <laughs> maybe you can help me here.
0: I love it. I love it. That's okay. That's general is good. We can apply like, we take we take what we can from the ether and we weigh them each <coughs> and say I don't need that one. So
1: okay. That was- one thing that has struck me is that of course we long to receive love. All right. We want to be included. We want to be appreciated. We want to be loved. We want to be sought. There's something deep in us that wants to be sought in a healthy way To for people to come to us, come for us, not leave us wounded on the battlefield of life, to come for us. We want that. Okay. But what do you do when that's not happening? What do you do when statistically a large fraction of men are jerks? Uh, what do you do about that, right? And What is paradoxically healing, and it's totally counterintuitive, is to actually rest more and more in your own lovingness. First and foremost, because it heals you, it repairs you, it protects Mm. you, it helps you feel better, and it's also under your own influence. Getting, receiving from the world, a lot of it is just vastly out of your hands. On the other hand, resting in a fundamental stance that's authentic, not in not becoming a chump. Not getting exhausted, not falling into the standard script, as you know better than I do by far, I'm sure. Of course, Um, you know, women are supposed to nurture, give, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, My first book was called Mother Nurture because it's about nurturing mothers, you know, the ones who, you know, do all of the bearing and most of the rearing. So, but I've been really struck by the ways in which that resting and basic compassion, basic goodwill, basic friendliness, basic kindness actually protects people from being disappointed so much or mm-hmm. wounded so much by, the, by rejections and so forth. So that that's one, certainly. And then a, a second thing, um, and again, I have the privilege of being able to say it, so feel free to whack me upside the head. But I think about a lot of things um, that this applies to and to find a way to be ultimately at peace no matter what. You know, that's a really it's a hard one. order, <laughs> but it's there. Uh, I remember, um, a stupid example. I was a kid. I, you know, as I'm an anxious kind of person in some ways. And so here I am a kid, I'm hearing sounds under my bed and I'm nine years old. I'm convinced there's a monster under there and I have a very active imagination. And I finally, you know, after a, a, a freaking out and freezing. And if I called out, the monster would attack and, you know, all the rest of the world you get into when you're a kid. I got myself ready. I said, okay, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. And I steeled myself to sit up a little bit and lean over and put my head under the, the frame of my bed to see what was there, knowing that the monster could rip my face off. But I was just sick and tired of being afraid of that. And yeah. so I accepted the ultimate. You know what I mean? That's a dumb example. But <laughs> yeah, you're on an airplane, you know, and I'm on an airplane, especially pre COVID. Um just wish everyone on the plane well and accept the fact that we all might die. Okay. Not that, yeah. <laughs> not I mean, that's again, you do these little push ups. You start yeah. with easy and then you go out. But, you know, again, out I'm of self interest.
0: I don't wish all of my travelers well, literally ever. I'm Most of them I, I want to punch in the face. <laughs> well, for
1: your own sake, it might be helpful. But I understand,
0: <laughs> I understand the exercise of it. And, yeah. you know, sometimes I feel you. I'm like, someone gave me the exercise once that, like, Picture everybody either naked or with a halo around them and, you know, your anger for them dissipates when you're just like, we're all just humans trying to figure out life. You know what I mean?
1: Can you find a way for this life to be good enough and for you to be as good as it can be while also X, you know, can you find a way? to to rest in the feeling of that which is good in your life alongside that which is missing, without denying or just downplaying that which is missing, honoring that longing in your heart. Of course, it would be good if you had a good partner and all the rest of that. And still, can you find goodness and comfort in in what is also good? True. That's I have, fundamental. That makes me
0: think of something, and I want to ask you – we'll sort of get one final big question for you but this came up in my in the course that I mentioned at the top of the episode the science of well-being um, Dr. Lori Santos Um, it's quite early into the course I don't know if you've had a chance to take it but she talks about one of the reasons why there's a disconnect with happiness in modern culture is because we have all these misconceptions about what will make us happy and you know the easy list is like good job money perfect body but on the list, this surprised me was true love. Hmm. And I like the way that she phrased that it wasn't marriage. It was true love, you know, and I think a lot of us are searching for love and to be loved in a romantic way. And the misconception was, um, backed by a study. Um, this, uh, these German psychologists did the study where they, um, they tracked 25,000 people over 15 years, mm. and based on who had been married, you know, asking for their their level of happiness based year to year, mm. showed that there was a peak level of happiness in year one to two in marriage, but then after that, the the happiness level returned to what um, they called and she calls our baseline happiness, mm. so that we all are going around the planet having, even if we're like bummed about certain things, we all have a Baseline happiness that rests somewhere around a seven to a seven and a half, knowing my country's not at war. I have a, sh- a roof over my head. People I love are in good health, et cetera. Be affected by these little spikes, but we soaply return. This blew my mind. I was like, no one's talking about this. We're all on this trajectory towards like the ultimate ending of our lives, which is to get married or being sold this by society of like, this is what we should be aspiring for. But people aren't actually. That doesn't actually affect your core happiness at all. I'm not really sure what my question is for you, uh, but okay. I, I know I had it when we started. It's basically like so in taking this this sense of knowing yeah. that your core happiness is within your control and that you can rewire your brain towards happiness. I don't. What are your thoughts on on this study and this this sort of like? This, it blew up the dynamic for me of how our culture, like I said, sort of sets us up to be a certain way, and maybe it's maybe it's all a sham. Like, huh. what are we all doing it for, if not to be loved?
1: That's interesting. Well, a couple of things here. So, uh, you know, I uh, so we actually had Lori on our Being Well podcast, and um, so I have some familiarity with that research area. First, yeah. research is about averages of groups. All right. And that doesn't necessarily apply to to you. Second, there's this term you may know, the hedonic treadmill, this idea that, you know, as we do practices of various kinds or have good events in our life, like meeting the perfect partner, you know, yeah, we get a momentary sugar high, but fairly quickly, we go back to our baseline. So it's like a hedonic treadmill. We don't get ahead, right? But that's been blown up by tons of research. First of all, many people reduce the negatives. They become less anxious, less depressed, less irritable, Mm. less ashamed or feeling inadequate over time. Well, that's a stable improvement in their resting state well-being, okay, number one. Number two, a lot of evidence, including personal experience, that doing practices, you know, some kind of regular practice of some kind or um, doing, you know, Men, you know, working with your own mind over time, you become happier. You, you have more resilience over time. You can become more kind of rested in a positive outlook and a, and a sense of well-being. And definitely, if you use the methods I've described, you know, less than five minutes a day of deliberately taking in the good, you'll feel different in a week. Mm. You'll really feel different in a month. And if you don't, then after a month of that, you should look to something physical. Because maybe there's something physical, including a physical basis for depressed mood right. that's disrupting your own natural process of learning, your, the normal process of emotional learning. So there's a lot of evidence for that. And uh, then, uh, then um, it is also true that I've seen these studies where as an average of a group, yes – Happiness as a couple tends to peak in the early years. It tends to drop significantly on average when children arrive. Mm. Greatest threat to a relationship on average generalization. Uh, And then gradually, though, it tends to, if the people stay together on average, come up and out of that trough and even eventually exceed that initial point of entry. You know, people who actually make it over the whole Mm. long haul. And that, that probably is coincident with the other stuff like being established financially maybe and working through different issues and so forth. But yeah, that's the average. And and so my my view is that we would just think about it as like the common sense friend test or I know you're a New Yorker. I love New Yorkers. I'm from California, I'm mellow, but I love the authenticity <laughs> of New Yorkers. And honestly, I experienced more kindness on the two strangers on the streets of Manhattan than in the streets of LA. For sure. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's that person sitting next to you on the subway. If you look at them or you look at your friend, would you wish that they found true love? Of course you would. Would you wish that they could be in a good relationship with someone who's annoying sometimes, but not a complete wanker? Yeah, you would. Well then why not wish it for yourself? It's okay to wish it for yourself.
0: So I can't get you on record saying that marriage is not. Aligned with happiness,
1: not per se, <laughs> okay. but be realistic. But let's be real too. Um, think about us as hunter gatherers. You know, most of us were dead by the time we were forty, right? Uh, and even just re- until very recently, most people were dead before by the time they were forty. The, yeah. You know, the mortality rate of children in hunter gatherer bands is five out of six do not make it to their sixth birthday. That's what it's hardcore. Yeah. on the one hand. So you think about naturally, how long is a relationship going to be on the one hand? On the other hand, uh, realize that the, that the actual divorce rate is about two out of three. 50% of married couples don't make it. Yeah. And then if you add people who got legally married and fundamentally divorced, functionally divorced, but never filed papers, or people who were functionally married... Like they owned property and had kids, but they never got legally mar- married, but eventually separated. It adds up to about two out of three. So yeah, one in three chance uh, on average. You know. On the other hand, when were you not in the top third? You know, knowing that a lot of it's out of your hands, but why right. not go for it and then do what you can? Make your like I said, water the fruit tree, tend to the causes that are under your control. And recognize that a certain amount of what turns out is just out of your hands and it's not your fault.
0: I guess anyway, I'm fascinated. That's my two cents. I'm fascinated. Go for it. I'm not no, no. a lot it's of people. You know, from- there's
1: this middle place where I'm so sorry to rant.
0: <laughs> no, no, we can go. I love people that rant. Good. Okay, my very <laughs> super fast
1: rant is we're talking about, you know, the, I'm Buddhist, so the middle way, of course, would be on brand for me. Um, On the one hand, there are people who are just way tense and intense and contracted and driven, and they gotta get it, you know. And that's a prescription for suffering—that feeling of insistence and must, and you know, an endless disappointment if it doesn't turn out like you want it. Okay, don't do that. On the other hand, there are people who want something and they don't do much to get it. They want it, but they're not taking action toward it, or they're saying to, or they're kicking the can down the road every day. And the year, the days add up to years over time. And that's a problem too. Don't do that. Try to find that middle place where maybe in dating you say, you know, it's like a weird job. I haven't told you my theory of dating and mating yet, you know, but part of it is one of the three aspects is marketing. And you just think, screw it. I'm going to give it half an hour a day. That's it. Or I'm going to give it five minutes a day. Or once a week, I'm going to give it 10 minutes. And that's it. That's my job. I'm going to do my job, hope for the best, you know, and otherwise I'm going to leave it be. Uh, you know, maybe that that's more the middle way. Yeah. Uh, where also you add, you know, clear intent. You talked about divine accidents. I mean, as a guy with a lot of background in science, there are a couple of areas where I really think clarity of intent really matters. And it's a 100%. tricky thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because then, then somehow you could blame yourself. No, I just mean working the metaphysics of it, calling in the one, you know, being, you know, doing that. And then obviously psychology, being skillful, presenting yourself in a reasonably good way, being able to repair misunderstandings, not just bailing at the first awkward moment with somebody. On the other hand, not putting up with someone who's treating you badly and you can just tell, you know. Um, like Maya Angelou, right. When people show you who they are, believe them. Right, right, right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, that's fine. That's it. No, no, no. Like those are wonderful. And I think those are all extremely helpful and useful, especially in dating. I'm, I'm toying with a personal theory of baseline happiness, which is as, as per the podcast, what, what if we could be as happy as we are right now in our singlehood as we potentially could be in what we're supposedly reaching for in the future. Meaning, and this is right in line with everything that you've been saying, your happiness is now and your happiness is right in front of you. There's no guarantee that the thing that we're supposedly searching for or doing this all for is going to lead to more happiness. That's what blew my mind in hearing this research. I was sort of like... You know, dispelling the myth that the thing that we are dating for or hoping to achieve will bring us a better life. Like no one talks about that. That's bullshit. That's a complete myth. Your happiness is within you, and it's probably going to be the same as if you find a partner down the future. I love hearing your little addendums. Uh, They, you know, like they didn't. You're right. They didn't have research beyond like the first five years, and I think that's really helpful to know but i also really want to encourage people to say that like hey not necessarily like the thing that you're searching for or dating for in service of is going to improve your happiness like now yeah. and this is your happiness if that makes yeah. sense well yeah. let's finish up That's great. uh strong That's great. Well, thank, thank you. you with with you telling me um Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember how to frame it. But when we started the, the the session, you were talking about your key to success in dating. Was that right?
1: Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Tell me real uh-huh. quick,
0: and we'll we'll finish on hopefully a positive note.
1: Oh yeah. Well, again, I say this as someone who's worked with a lot of people in this territory, and these are just what I've seen. You know, and I've shared this formula with multiple people, and they said, "Whoa, yeah." So I and I've said it essentially already. Three things for me. These are the three things that you can do. One, clear intent. And really, you know, in a way that's, I can, I learned a practice. uh, So I had a spiritual teacher for a time and I learned a simple practice that I'll summarize here in which if there's something you care about, first um, focus on releasing obstructions to it. So you could do that kind of in relationship simply to the universe or even something divine. And you're releasing into all that whatever's in the way, inside yourself, outside yourself, you're releasing it, maybe particularly in time with the exhalation. So you do that for half a minute, a few minutes longer. At some And a lot of things will come to mind. And you'll realize, oh, or that, and you'll just let it go. Release, release, release. And then you there'll be a natural shift into receiving from the universe, the divine, receiving that which feels wholesome, feels good. It's the longing of your heart, you know, the virtuous longing of your heart. You're bringing it in. And often when you start to receive, an obstruction will come up, a doubt, or a well, yes, but or well, what about, or well, not, not for me. Uh, and then, okay, go back into releasing. Release, 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 and then shift into receiving again and again. That's a very powerful practice uh, in, that enables us to really rest in our strong intention and uh, a way of also really feeling it um, is summarized for me in this line from T.S. Eliot, Teach us to care and not to care,
0: mm.
1: so you you're rested in the combination of the two. That's clear intention. So you rest in intention. Okay. Second is psychology. That's where ninety percent of what you find out there about relationships is skills, emotional intelligence, social intelligence, um, navigating upsets. My my book, uh, Making Great Relationships, is all about the psychology: what you think and what you say. Uh, that to make your relationships as good as they can be. You know, know your tendencies, know what your triggers are, repair, you know, injuries from your childhood. Do what you can in the psychology. Okay, that's psychology. That's the second category. So intention, psychology. And the third category is marketing.
0: (laughs) It's marketing. what I thought you were going to say.
1: (laughs) It's a marketing problem, uh, in part because if you just take a person you know, like you say, or somebody else who's out there on the tail of the curve, you're looking for somebody who's also out on the tail of the curve, of the bell curve, the distribution. And, in just, you think through it, you need to move through many, many people, hundreds, thousands mm. of people. If you're looking for, if you're one in a hundred or one in a thousand, you're also looking for that kind of person. And, you know, demographically, you know, you you have to look, you have to cast a wide net realistically. And then the trick of course is to cast a wide net effectively and to move through that process. I don't know if you ever did sales training, but there's language of, you know, suspects, prospects, leads, you know, and, and so forth. You just think about the process. Uh, I'm making a funnel with my hands here. You start out with a lot and in, in marketing, the, the thing is to move through it quickly. Really quickly and efficiently in ways that feel intrinsically okay to you. Mm. You know, it's the marketing aspect uh, of it all, and just recognizing it objectively. It sucks. It's weird. Uh, it's the world we live in. But oh well, there you are. And if you're gonna and do it skillfully and happily, as happily as you can. Yeah. That's the marketing aspect.
0: And do it constantly, processing through your own system of. Appreciation so that in the moment you're in charge of your own happiness and it's yeah. not affecting you. I love that. Yeah.
1: And I know that you would have so much. I mean, those for me are just general notions that I've seen with people. And um, there can be, you know, people can step back and realize, oh, I could do better. You know, I want them. And then maybe that becomes a focus for a person. Uh, no no blame, no shame, just, oh, pragmatically, you know, I want the result. There's such a difference between guiding yourself and criticizing yourself. Mm. You can guide yourself skillfully like a friend might or a teacher might or a fairy godmother might. <laughs> that's really different from tearing yourself down. Uh, you can guide yourself, but that, that's how to look at this. And yeah, but my larger point, undoubtedly – is that you could add tremendous specifics uh, to these things and, and help me understand them better too.
0: Yeah. I feel like it's just the tip of the iceberg of a conversation that, well, it is a tip of an iceberg of a conversation uh-huh. because it's an ongoing process for life. And, um, <clears throat> yeah. on this, this human journey that we all have in this, Never-ending journey that we call dating. Um, but this is, it's, it's been really beautiful to get to, to listen to your brain and see your perspective oh. on, on, on things and how you filter them and, and um, better ways to restructure our brain in a very challenging system. That we are not in control of. So, yeah. all that is to say, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your your thoughts with me and your your learnings and your education and your teachings as well. So, um, I'm I'm very honored and it's been an incredible. Oh, joy. It's been a
1: great pleasure, Jeanette. And you know, I really wish you well.
0: Thank you. I wish really. I wish you well as well. I accept that. <laughs> I am processing that. I am I am living in that, and I wish you well in return. And I mean oh, that genuinely. Thank you.
1: I feel so, very honored to have a chance, you know, to just talk with you. Period. And also to be in this um, setting in which um, just thousands and thousands of people, you know, um, would have an interest in what I might have to offer. So I feel touched and honored. Yeah,
0: we're doing the good work. Like like I said, I'm like. Things aren't going to change unless we start putting words to them. And uh, it's a very weird time to be a woman. It's a very weird time to be single, but um, we're not alone. Um, So I hope you listening got something out of this episode. If you want to learn more about um, Rick's teachings, he has... As, he, as I mentioned, he has seven books um, and and lots more to learn from podcasts and teachings and seminars. Um, you can learn all uh, at rickhanson.net. I'll be sure to link in the show notes as well as the podcast if you want to do more of a deep dive. Um, just make sure I'll link that all for you. And as always, if this episode resonated with you and you might have a friend that might be going through the doldrums of dating right now, can use some positive um, restructuring themselves then uh, feel free to pass along and let us know how you did and please connect with us and let us know how this landed with you we're over on uh, instagram at hashtag single pod, and i just implemented this crazy new thing called google voice in case you want to reach out and let me know how you're feeling so i'll put that number in the show notes and on instagram as well uh, that is it for this episode you guys we will catch you next time